Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you remember last week in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 16, we talked about he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Last week, we took a little commercial break in the middle of the message, and I began to describe what Mark was talking about in regards to believing and being baptized. You see, what I said was, faith is the only essential for salvation. Faith alone, we are saved. Obedience is essential for our sanctification. And we call baptism the first step of obedience. So when we get saved by faith alone... The next step is we get baptized because that's our first step of obedience. That's part of our sanctification. Now, that's just a long, big theological term to describe the Christian's desire to look more and more like Christ. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What Paul is saying very clearly by the Holy Spirit is that every single one of us as believers want to become more like Christ. We didn't have that desire to be like Christ prior to our salvation. But after we got saved, we didn't want to be like the world anymore. Have you ever looked at some of your pictures of you before you were saved? How many of you are embarrassed? Raise your hand. I want to see it. Like, I can't believe I wore that. Or you saw the picture and you remembered how you used to talk. You remembered that you used to like bar hop every single weekend. Like you remember, and you looked at this picture and you go, look who I was. And now, you know, we're going into the holiday season. Can you believe it? And now all the commercials start about preparing you for January where they want you to join a gym. So they show all the before and the after pictures. Well, just imagine if Christians, we put out commercials. Here's what you look like before Christ. And here's what you can look like after Christ. I mean, I'm honestly praying about starting a national commercial of the before and after of coming to Christ. I mean, some of your pictures would be winners. Because I've seen some of your pictures before Christ. And Jesus did something supernatural because you don't want to be like the world anymore because the Spirit is in you. And now that we're saved... Our passion is to be more like Jesus, and it's revealed by the things that we do. I don't know what's going in your heart, but I can see what's going on in your life. And those are called good works. You see, good works are the evidence of our salvation. They don't cause us to be saved, 
The thief on the cross didn't come down and do something nice in order to get saved. He just simply believed. But good works are the evidence of our salvation. Good works are directed by the word. Good works glorify Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit working through me. I mean, how many of you before Christ, when someone slapped you in the cheek, you would turn the other cheek? As you turn, your right hook would be coming along with it. But something happened when you got saved, where you now want to be like Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to do it. In fact, if you remember from last week, I quoted James chapter 2, verse 17. The Bible says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is, say it, dead. Faith without works is dead. In other words, if you say you're a Christian, but nobody knows it, that's a problem. See, he's making it clear and very clear that works follow salvation like a nap follows Thanksgiving. (laughs) Do you know I take months to plan my Thanksgiving meal? Because when I get up off that table, I don't want to walk. I want to roll to the couch. And I want to lie there and I... How many of you pass out after Thanksgiving? Go ahead. I want to see all of your hands. Who passes out after Thanksgiving? Who has to clean after Thanksgiving? God bless you. You're such a gift to let us sleep. You see, faith... Faith doesn't exist if there are no good works to reveal the faith. Faith without works is dead. So we've got to stop for just a minute and evaluate our life. Because some of us have been in the church for a long time. And some of us, we're just showing up going, who is that guy up there? And I thought he had longer hair last week. So what James does in the course of his book, he gives us two examples. First example is he gives Abraham. Now, Abraham had been walking with the Lord for quite some time. And in James chapter 2, verse 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? In other words, Abraham was a believer and he proved it by his work. And Abraham had been walking with the Lord for a very long time. And what James is trying to get across is, listen, I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, don't grow weary in doing good. Abraham, he even, he's our example. But if you're just coming to Christ, James uses another example. Her name was Rahab. Maybe you've heard of her before. She was a prostitute. And the Israeli soldiers went into Jericho, and the soldiers went to a prostitute's house. Hmm. Bad little Israeli boys. But God supernaturally intervened, and it seems like the Israeli boys were just undercover, and they were expressing God's great faithfulness, 
Rahab, a Gentile, comes to Christ and they, comes to God and they tell her, hang a red scarlet out your window tomorrow and your house will be the only house that won't fall down. But Jericho is coming down. Well, you know what happened? She hung out that red uh, gar- uh, uh, a piece of uh, cloth. And the Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 25, making it very clear, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Rahab had just gotten saved. She's a new believer. She was a prostitute one day, and she's working for God the next day. So overwhelmed by her deliverance, she shows by her good works. And what James is trying to get across is this. Whether you are a seasoned saint or you've just been salted, we've got to be ready to do good works. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Look at the Bible. For by grace, Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. Imagine Christmas time coming and I made my children pay for the gifts. It's not a gift. You worked for it. Not of works, he says, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul's making something very clear. Salvation is a gift from God. There is nothing you can do to attain besides believe by faith. Thank God, because I've seen some of your before pictures. And there was no way on earth for any worldly thing to clean you up. The only thing was a supernatural act of God. And he not only cleaned you up, but he's now preparing you to be with him for an eternity. You see, Jesus did all the hard work. He did all the hard work. He is like the father at Christmas. I love Christmas. And I love to give my children a wow gift. In fact, I don't know if you know this about your pastor, but when I was working at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, many, many years ago, and I love Christmas so much, I wasn't making enough money in order to, I have nine kids, to buy each one of the kids a wow gift. So you know what I used to do every year? I would work at Walmart from 11 at night to 7 the next morning for three months during the holiday season so that I could do the, I could do the work in order to get the gift for my children. Now let me tell you, that's what Jesus did. He did all the work. He worked this 24-7. Last week I said 64-7. It was an accident. Okay? I got seven emails. Pastor, just want to let you know it's 24-7. I know. At least 8.30 you're awake. God bless you. You see, Jesus, he set the example for me. He worked the work. He did the, what God asked him to do so that we could just simply believe. Jesus did all the hard work. Now, I need you to see something there in verse 10. It's a very important word. It's the word for. For. 
You see, that word for tells us why this salvation is not from man or by anything that we could do. It says, for we are his workmanship. Salvation is a work of God alone. Now, this word workmanship, it's the Greek word work of art, masterpiece. Salvation is God's masterpiece. He did it for us. And believers are God's masterpiece because they have been created, created, the Bible says in verse 10, created is a work that only God can do in Christ Jesus. You see, because of Christ, the Bible says we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Old things are passed away. Now, if you're still hanging on to some old things, you better take a look at that before picture and something better be happening in your after picture. Pastor Zach and I were doing this 52-day challenge. I got to drink a gallon of water a day. I'm working out twice a day. And we're doing this thing to get fit before Thanksgiving because I want to eat whatever I want to eat in Thanksgiving. And I'm killing myself for 52 days for that great, incredible meal. Hallelujah. It's like the worst experience of my life. I am so tired just for one meal, right? But one of the things you're supposed to do is take a before picture and an after picture. Well, Zach's 35, six years old. He's starting to change a lot quicker than me. I'm 53. And my before picture still kind of looks the same. She said, keep going. That's the encouragement of you still need a lot of work. But does our Christian life look like that? Do we still look like our before picture? Or is there something that is different about it? Because you've been created in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation when you get saved. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. When you're a believer... There is a before and there is an after picture. There is something clearly different. Now, look what we've been saved for. We've been saved by grace. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Every artist has a reason for producing their art. Outside of Picasso, I think he was just a little messed in the head. Every artist has a reason for producing their art. And God's creation, God's reason of why you're his masterpiece is so that you can continue to paint the world with his reflection. It's called good works. It's called good works. You see, the language of walking in the first century world, when someone was walking in something, that language, that literature, it basically described their lifestyle. So you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It it would be like saying, if you're into football, 
you would, Paul would say, you're walking in football. It's your lifestyle. It's just what you do. You watch games Sunday. You watch games Monday. You watch games Thursday. You wear the jersey. You've got the paint on your face in your living room. A little strange. But you have got your colors on. Paul would say, you're walking in football. Now, if you're into fashion, Paul would say, you're walking in Gucci. You're walking in Prada. It would just be the way that they would describe what your lifestyle is. So what he's saying, good works are not religious activities that we do and we just simply say, I'm going to show up to church and I'll do this good work. No, good works describe the Christian's lifestyle. Good works make up the entirety of of the Christian life. We walk in them. It's just who we are. Go with me to the book of Titus. I want you to see this again. Paul is now describing to Titus the very same thing that he's describing to the church in Ephesus. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, once again, we start out with our salvation. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. In other words, salvation is available to everybody. Now, once you get saved, take a look at verse 12, teaching us that. So once you're saved, here's what salvation teaches us. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. There's a before picture and there's an after picture. And now Paul's going to describe what that after picture should look like. He says we walk soberly. In other words... Once we get saved, we want to dig into the Bible and we want to think the way that Jesus thinks. So if someone slaps me on one cheek, I'm going to turn the other because that's what Jesus thinks. And I want to live righteously. I don't want to live like the way of the world anymore. I want to live the way that God wants me to live. That's a righteous lifestyle. But I also want to be godly. And God's character is best expressed not in knowledge, but in love for one another. Something is different about me when I get saved, and I want to be different because I want to please God. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible speaks about what our goal should be in Christ. He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That's our goal in life. Now take a look at the reaction to our salvation. Verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's saying, look, you're saved. And there's a lifestyle by which we should be living every day as if it's the day that Christ is going to return. What if Jesus was to come right now? I thought I'd wait. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you remember when little eight-day-old Jesus walked, he actually didn't walk into the temple. His mother brought him into the temple. And it was now the opportunity for him to go through the Jewish rite eight days after his birth. And there was an older guy, his name was Simeon. 
he was waiting for the deliverance of the Lord. And when he saw little baby Jesus come into the temple, he ran towards him. And he knew, he, the Bible says, he picks him up only like a grandpa can. And he cries out to God and he says, Lord. Listen to what he says. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Monks around the world, before they go to bed, Roman Catholic monks, before they go to bed, they pray a prayer called the Nunc Dimittis. And what it is, is Simeon's prayer. They pray Simeon's prayer, but they pray it with intention. And the intention that the Roman Catholic monk prays this prayer is with this intent. Lord, I've lived my life today that if you were to return, I'm ready for you to take me home. Can that become our prayer? Can we at the end of our day quite confidently say, Lord, I've lived my life today that if you were to come, I'm ready. Take me home. Beam me up, Jesus. I'm ready to come. And now what Paul is about to do is describe the lifestyle that we should be living in order to say that prayer. It should be a lifestyle filled with good works. Take a look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us, speaking of Jesus, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Take a look, maybe underline it in your Bible. Zealous for good works. You see, our redemption was also for our reformation. We've been called to be a special people. Now, I know the word special these days may not have the context that you're considering. If someone calls you special, they're usually maybe not giving you the greatest of compliments, okay? (laughs) I was going to tell you a personal hurtful story, but I'm going to go on. Someone last week, they were like, well, you're very special. Well, I don't know if I like that. So a better way to read this would be like this. We are his own treasured people. Wow. You are treasured as a believer. Believers are treasured by God. Treasured by God. The evidence is that Jesus gave himself for us. The very evidence that we're treasured is that God gave his best for you and for me. And Jesus died on a cross. That was his good work. You see, he did what the Father asked him to do, and he did it with all of his heart, and he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. That's a good work. He believed in God. He set the example, and he died on a cross for us. Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made himself who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
And in the return for his good work for us, he's asking, would you follow my example? Would you be zealous for good works? Now, this word zealous, it means eagerly desiring something. And back in the first century world, everybody knew what this meant because there were zealots. You remember Simon the zealot? He was one of the disciples. They were passionate about the Jews ruling in Israel, not the Romans. And they were willing to do anything to accomplish this goal. One of the most famous zealots is Barabbas. He murdered a Roman soldier because he was a zealot. We might call them Taylor Swift fans today. It blows my mind how popular Travis Kelsey has become in the last several weeks. I mean, a great football player, but now that he's with Taylor Swift, oh my goodness, he's the best football player that the NFL have ever seen. Blows my mind how fans will go crazy over a person. That's a zealot. We read about some zealots in Mark chapter 16, you remember. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. And then verse 19, so they went. They did it. They were zealous for it. They wanted to do whatever it was that Jesus asked them to do, no matter the cost, even at the cost of their lives, because Jesus set the example of what a good work is. He did what the Father asked him to do, and he did it for us. So now that I've laid out some of the theology, what's a good work? Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Luke's gospel, chapter 9. Let's take a look at a good work. Luke chapter 9, I'm going to pick it up there in verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together. He gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them, Luke chapter 9, now verse 2. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey. Stop there if you would. There are five things that I pray you would write down about a good work. The first is this. Good works are a calling for God, from God, for every disciple. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9, then he called his 12 disciples. Then he called his 12 disciples. You see, a good work is the evidence of our love for God and our love for people. Remember, Jesus died for us, not for himself. He sacrificed his life so that we could have the gift of salvation. And good works are the evidence of our love for God and the evidence of our love for people. You see, you no longer have to worry about what is my calling in life. Your calling is a good work. So pick one. Pick one right now. Okay, we're going to pick one. Just lean over to the person sitting next to you and say, I'm so glad you're here today. Go ahead, do it. Okay, if you didn't do it, you failed. No, listen. Do you realize that's a good work? You just encourage someone. Now, if you thought that was weird, and encouragement is like a weird thing for you, uh uh-oh, are you holding on to the before? 
Because encouragement should flow out of the believer. It's just a good work. So pick one. Number two, Jesus will empower us to do what he's asking us to do. Bible says in Luke chapter 9, he called them and gave them power. So if you just struggled, if you just struggled with encouraging someone sitting next to you, next time I ask, you say, Spirit, I need your help. I'm not into encouragement. I need you to encourage through me. Would you help me do what you're asking me to do? All we have to do is ask the Holy Spirit for help when we don't think we can do what God is asking us to do. You see, he doesn't ask us to do something without giving us the power to do it. Jesus will empower us to do what he's asking us to do. Number three. Good works will always be inspired from the word of God. You can't pick what a good work is. The Bible's already explained what a good work is. You see, the Bible says, he sent them, and take a look at verse 3, he said to them. He gave the direction. He sent them, he said to them. Now, what are some works that are mentioned in Scripture? Ladies, I'm going to start with you. Take a look at the screen. Okay, ladies, are you ready? Okay, husbands, hold your wives' hands. Help them get through this. And if you don't have a husband, just hold the person's hands next next to you. And if you want them to be your husband, hold it a little tighter. Okay, here we go. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. Pastor Chet, I'm like 20. Why would you be talking about a widow and I'm 20 years old? Because I need you to see something. What Paul's about to do is describe the lifestyle of a Christian woman and the responsibility of the church to take care of a woman who has lived this life. Now let's read it. And not unless she's been the wife of one man. Now, that doesn't mean that you haven't been divorced. What that means is that she was faithful to her husband. She was faithful to her husband. Well reported for good works, ladies. This is the perfect time for me to like do a Harvest Fest recruitment, volunteer, volunteer recruitment. <laughs> because it's not just one work. It's not just two works. It's well-reported, ladies, for good works. In other words, good works should be flowing out of you all the time. When you sit down at church, you go, hey, how are you? Great to see you. I'm so glad you're here. Because church is not just for you. It's for the people that are sitting next to you. Well-reported for good works. If she's brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, she's hospitable. The Bible goes on. If she has washed the saint's feet, in other words, she's a servant. She just wants to serve the body of Christ. She just wants to help out anywhere she can. If she's relieved the afflicted, her neighbor's sick, so she baked a strawberry pie, and she shows up with it and says, I'm praying for you. You see, she is relieved the afflicted if she's diligently followed Every good 
work. Well, where do good works come from? Good works come from the word of God. And as I'm reading the word of God, I want to apply it to my life. So now, encourage the person sitting next to you. Let's do it again. And if you're struggling, ask the spirit to help you. So go ahead. Try it one more time. Say, you look nice today. Say, I'm glad you're here. Say, great hair day. Now, let me tell you what just happened. Some of you are married couples and you came fighting. You were fighting when you came up. And you just looked at your wife and went, you look wonderful. And all of a sudden, she loves you again. (laughs) Ladies, this is a good work. Now, gentlemen, okay, now, wives, hold on to your husbands. (laughs) Here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 3, take a look. This is a faithful saying. Now, note, men, how yours is a little bit longer. Okay, here we go. (laughs) If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. We're to be zealous for good work, men. So every man in the church should want to be a church leader. Every man in the church should not want to attend church, but should want to lead at the church. A bishop then must be blameless. Here's a good work. The husband of one wife expressed that already. Temperate, that's a good work. When a man is steady, that's a good work. The sober-minded, thinks clearly of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. I may pick one of you next week to come on up. (laughs) Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. In other words, I don't want you busy trying to make it in the world. I want you busy trying to build the kingdom. Going on, the Bible says, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well. Now, I don't know how you care about Larry Elder or not. He just dropped out of the presidential race. But there was one thing that I loved about his platform. And I'm not trying to be political because he dropped out of the race. He really believed that if fathers would step up in our country, we could change the United States of America. I love that. Able to rule his own house well, having his children's submission with all reverence. Moreover, verse 7, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. In other words, his life is to be filled with good works. Now, I've done the ladies and I've done the men. Now I'm going to do everybody. Now I know you're either a lady or a man. And if you're struggling, we have a ministry that we want... (laughs) To minister to you. So, I want you to see this. That wasn't in my notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, take a look. Now I want to speak to everyone. But this I say, it's a good work. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, you, that you, 
always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Here's what he's saying. Christians, after picture, we're not greedy. We are generous. We're generous with our time. We're generous with our talents. We're generous with our treasure. We're generous with our testimony. Our after picture is not greedy. Our after picture is we're generous because God is able to supply everything we need in order for us to be filled with good work. Now, church, God work will always be inspired from the word. Number four, good works will always share the gospel. The Bible says, he said to them to preach the kingdom, verse 2, and to heal the sick. Good works will always share the gospel. If it doesn't involve preaching the gospel, it's not a good work. If it doesn't involve preaching the gospel, it's not a good work. Do you remember when Cain showed up? And Cain, he brought the work of his hands, and God didn't accept it. He worked, but it wasn't a good work. It wasn't a good work. God did not accept it because that's not what God required. We can't make up what work we want to do because we can work with our hands, but it may not be something that God receives. You see, a good work is a work that involves the gospel. A work that does not involve the gospel is not accepted by God. It's just a work of our hands. I've used the example before. If I go to a country that needs water and all I do is dig a well and I don't tell them about Jesus, it was just a work of my hands. It was not a good work because a good work will always share the gospel. Now, number five, number five. Good works will always serve other people for their benefits. This is important because Jesus became sin for us. That was a sacrifice. It wasn't for him. You see, our motives are very important when it comes to good works. Very important, not to me. Because I don't know what your motive is. Like, if you're volunteering at Harvest because you just found out that the girl that you like is volunteering and you're going to get into her booth. Oh, I, I always sweep up wherever I go, Sally. Oh, can I hold that for you, Sally? Sally, I'll get it for you. Got to be careful. Good works will always serve other people for their benefit. See, our motives are very important when it comes to a good work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul reminds us of this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's speaking about Christians. That each one may receive things done in the body according to which he has done the good work, whether good or or bad. You see, there are good things that we do, 
and there are just work that we do. And Matthew 5.16 helps us to find the difference. Let your light so shine before men, so let them see your good works, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If you're glorifying yourself, no bueno. If you're glorifying yourself, if you're just volunteering so Sally notices you, no good. That's glory to you. But when you're doing a work so that God alone is glorified, God says, that's my kid. He's serving me. And he's not serving Sally. Amen? Be zealous for good works. Our ushers will be coming now as we begin to celebrate the Lord's communion. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, so grateful for the great gift of God in Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, setting an example for us what a good work is. He believed in you, and he did what you asked him to do. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, as we are served communion, that we will see the example of these men and follow in our own good works. In Jesus' name, amen. As our ushers are passing out communion, would you begin to prepare your hearts for this holy moment? (coughs) On the night before Jesus died, is my mic on? On the night before Jesus died, He had a moment in an upper room. And I know in this huge auditorium, it may not seem an intimate moment as it was, but that's the beauty of the crucifixion and the resurrection. It doesn't matter where we are. We can be intimate with God as soon as we say our Father. And on that night... He knew what was about to happen the next day. He was going to do the good work that God asked him to do. And today we're remembering him. We're remembering that he set an example that he did what God asked him to do. He did not hesitate, though it was a sacrifice. He did not debate though it was going to take a lot of time. He did not wrestle with God. He wrestled with the separation. You see, Jesus set an example for us of what it means to be zealous for good works. And the evidence 
of the cross is our salvation. So today, would you just take your own personal, intimate moment before we take communion, and would you just celebrate God for His good work through His Son, Jesus Christ? And believer, would you reflect on that? Now, I need to let you know something. Communion's only for believers. That's not excluding you. If you've come here and you don't know Jesus, communion is not exclusive. It's actually inviting you. You see, Jesus Christ, salvation's appeared to all people. That's what the Bible says. He wants all people to be saved. And while the church celebrates communion, if you don't know the Lord, communion's your invitation. He wants to let you know. My body was broken and my blood was shed for you. There was no way for you to get to heaven. And I knew that. So a body was prepared for me so that I could be the God-man and do what you couldn't do and then die the death that I didn't want you to die and rise again so I could offer you eternal life. So when I say the communion is only for believers, it's true. But it doesn't exclude you. It invites you. If you don't know Jesus, maybe just say this prayer. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus. And today for the first time, I know I'm saved. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.